Hello and welcome back to the FEZ show. It has been a long time, but we've enjoyed our sort of extended summer holidays, you could say, and we're back now to talk everything season nine of the Formula E Championship. And joining me as always is the one and only Edward Hunter and Jack Pickering. How are we, boys? Uh, delighted to be back. Uh, I mean, I'm amazed that I haven't actually gone anywhere for the past two months, but um, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice not to be getting on and off, on and off planes, uh, the luxurious life. Uh, but yeah, um, looking forward to be back to this. Yeah, happy Halloween, guys. I uh, hope you have a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know I've got pumpkin to carve out so that people actually come to my house because usually no one does. But, <laughs> but anyway, uh, enough of that. Let's uh, let's talk some Formula E because season nine, it's going to be here before you know it. And uh, there's lots to get through because it's been a while since we last did the last one that uh, PK did in Souls. Yeah, it has been. And just figure obviously it's the end of October now and you're quite right in saying like you know it won't be long until December when we're actually seeing the season nine cars out on track in Valencia and then January the season kicks off and we've got a pretty tasty calendar which we'll we'll get into a little bit later but we've got to start with the driver moves and I want to start with one team right and that's DS now DS obviously have moved from Tech Cheetah which we'll talk about Tech Cheetah later but have gone over to the former Dragon team now called renamed DS Penske and they've signed Stoffel van Dorn obviously former champion from last season and Jean-Eric Verne now I'm going to come to you first Pico does that mean by signing Jev and van Dorn that we're going to expect DS Penske to have instant success or because yes okay they're going to get all this you know technological change and personnel coming from DS but you know it's still that dragon team maybe on the operation side you know is that going to do you think that's going to gel well or you know basically is it a recipe that could take a while to get started or do you think it's going to be an instant success all I'm going to say is good luck trying to beat them uh they've got the reigning champion they've got a two-time champion and they've uh and they've they won three championships on a bounce with with Tuchita. um and also with Penske, they're a huge name in motorsport. Um, obviously, it's been known as Dragon the last couple of years, but it is Penske Autosport now, basically. So it's, it's still going to be Jay at the helm, but I, I'm not sure if they're going to have more involvement from the Penske side. But um, uh, I do think they are going to be the ones to be. I think it will be very, very hard to see. Because you know, like we stuff was so consistent last year. Um Jev has got the knowledge of a two-time champion. There's just... I can't see them not coming minimum top three in the championship um, for the teams and both and both drivers will be top five in the championship next year. I'm almost certain about it. Watch me get proved wrong within, like, three races. Yeah, let's see. It's, it's an interesting concept, Ed. Like, you know... It feels like, yeah, this team should just go off, as Jack says, and go off and win and, and win races. But motorsport's not as easy as that. Yeah, and it's interesting you're talking about the staff numbers because I've been reading that uh, basically after Gen 2 ended, uh, after sale, a lot of the um, Dragon Penske staff were all let go, apparently. So it is essentially the DS performance team. Uh, with only a couple of uh, mainstays staying on from the uh, Dragon era. <clears throat> so um, I'll, it'll be interesting to see how they get on, because essentially Jay Penske here, who we talked about how fiercely independent the squad was, it seems like this is now finally where they, uh, I, I guess, bite the bullet and become a sort of manufacturer team and give up that sort of some of that autonomy, because it seems like we, they even announced uh, Eugenio Franzetti as director of DS Performance. They're going to bring him in essentially to oversee the... Uh, technical side of the team so uh, it'll be interesting to see how they get on and like like pico says two really really uh, highly rated drivers in van dorn and Vern, the two v's of course uh they're hoping they had a triple v because the third v will be victory i guess uh but uh, i think uh, i think certainly they're gonna be I, I wouldn't say the overall favorites because i think it's a little bit too early to say and i think it, i think the DS powertrain we saw in the Gen 2 era that started off strong and then they got it's basically got overtaken by Mercedes by the end of the year. So I think there's going to be a couple others like Jaguar and Porsche that could be quite strong. So uh, I certainly think uh, DS have still got to 
regain that title because they haven't won one since uh, season six, essentially. So, uh, but it'll be interesting to see uh, how how quickly whether they land on their feet at, at the end of testing and going into the first round in Mexico, or if they're achieving troubles that they need to overcome. Um, Pika, this one obviously you might not have seen yet, but um, obviously Dragon were based by Silverstone, so it'd be interesting to see what happens um, to their their building sites that there if they move out of their building sites because obviously DS have built that factory in Paris, which you know Jean Eric Verne took us round um, when you know obviously Tech Cheetah were there, but obviously Tech Cheetah aren't there anymore, so DS will be there, and obviously that will be where um, the sort of the dragon well the penske sort of operation may take place from so it'll be interesting to see um what happens to that dragon building um towards uh as the season progresses i suppose at silverstone well i can officially confirm it's still there don't worry it's still there the lights are still there um i mean i haven't seen the lights on or anything like that it's because i drive past it at 8 a.m in the morning when i go to work um but uh yeah i, I from from what i heard that there was some um, speculation that maybe that Tachita were going to move into those facilities but obviously with what's happening with um, Tachita and they're looking like it's looking like they, that they won't be on the grid um, next year um, so it's not going to happen for this year but um, I know that Mark Preston he, he lives just down the road from me somewhere in Oxford so um, it's it's not that too far of a commute for him either so uh, but yeah, we'll we'll um, we'll uh, we'll have to see with that. So uh, yeah. So let's talk about another move then. So we had Lucas Degrassi. Now Lucas Degrassi kind of knows where to move, right? So he you know he moved from Audi obviously because Audi left and he went to Venturi last season, who are now renamed as Maserati, and he managed you know competitive car. Found himself a competitive car, and he he likes to sniff out a competitive drive, and he's moved himself to Mahindra. So Ed, does this mean? Mahindra are going to be back to the old days of Felix Rosenquist winning races and, and Lucas Degrassi is going to be pioneering that with, with Oliver Rowland, or is it just a move for a move? It's tough to say. Uh, it certainly doesn't seem like Mahindra uh, had, obviously they didn't have, on the, if you look at the results last season, it wasn't an amazing season. It was a bit messy of lots of incidents, uh, but certainly the pace wasn't too far away at certain rounds. Certainly they ended on a high of Rowland getting that podium in sale but uh i i I've, I've it's really hard to predict the future obviously and we know zf have put a lot of their resources into gen 3 uh but i would say i i certainly think it's a smart move because it's a decent seat to go for in any season at mahindra uh will lucas get on there well there will he uh, get on top of roland he's certainly got kind of a I certainly think Mortara, at least in most of the like the first half of the season, he had the edge on Degrassi. It was only really in the last couple of races that Degrassi's results started to come together, of course, winning in London as well. So, yeah, I certainly think it was a good move, but whether it's going to put Lucas in championship winning contention again, I'm not too sure. I, I have a feeling maybe Mahindra aren't quite there yet. What are your thoughts, Pico? Well, firstly, I just want to like shout out Dilbag Gill, who's left the team after uh, eight long seasons, um, which came as a real surprise, I think, because I I do think Dilbag was instrumental in bringing Lucas to Mahindra, uh, and so yeah, and, and and he's one of the characters of the Formula E paddock, and it, and it is a shame that he's now left that, but uh, he's gone on to do fastest new, um, but yeah, with Mahindra, I think that we might be in for something rather special this season from Mahindra because if you think about it Lucas has just gone to Mahindra Robin Frines has just jumped ship from Envision to Mahindra and they're both customer team uh, no Envision to App sorry who are who are getting Mahindra customer power units so I do reckon that something special could come from Mahindra this year but um uh, we we uh, we knew with Lucas that he wanted to be in a factory team. When we spoke to him, I think way back in Rome, like he said, uh, he, we we asked him about the differences between working with Venturi, working with Audi, and it seemed that one thing that he did really want, uh, he really enjoyed, was being able to like help develop a, a car. So what he might be doing with Mahindra is he might be doing 
basically what Lewis Hamilton did with Mercedes and start, you know, midfield and then build it up. Admittedly, Mercedes happened way quicker than anyone else thought that they would be able to do. And then, but I think that's what Lucas is trying to do. And we know that, well, Lucas said earlier in the season, he's not 100% sure if he's going to be around for Gem 4. So I think that this is him, this is his last venture in Formula E, join a midfield team, build it up to the front, and then call, call time on his career. It'll be a sad day for Formula E when Lucas Degrassi goes. It will be a sad day, but I think he's still got a couple of seasons in him just yet. But I want to move on because I'm going to come back straight back to you on this one, Pico. Um, Andre Lotter, now we knew about this in London, like it was kind of coming to fruition that he was going to move to Andretti, but He's kind of had one of these up and down Formula E careers in terms of one minute is very good, like, you know, he's performing well. The next minute he's, you know, nowhere. Um, was it a surprise to you that he was linked to Andretti and, and, and has got that seat? Initially, yes, it was a compl- it, it, uh, it, it was a surprise to me because they put a lot of time into Askew and they wanted him to be uh, the American hope in Formula E, basically. And I think it's I think it's a shame that they've ditched Ash uh, that they've that they've ditched Askew after one season because towards the end of the year he was doing a mega job and he got he got two top five finishes one in London one in Seoul and so yeah it's um disappointing to see him go but uh, this season I do think Andre Lotter has actually been really good he was consistently in um in the duels uh, for most of the most of the season and. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, he he was able to take it to Pascal Verline, and going into the final few races, they were basically neck and neck. Yes, Verline just pipped Lotterer in the end, but if we were speaking about Andre this time last season, we were saying, oh, he's had a he's had a terrible year. I'm not sure whether he should really still be here. Whereas this year, he's uh, he's been toe to toe with Pascal and. Yeah, I, I think he's well deserving of um, the Andretti seat for next year. But uh, yeah, I do feel a bit sorry for Oli Askew, who has done just one season and probably back off to IndyCar potentially for next year. Yeah, it's a shame about Askew because obviously, yeah, you were right. But I feel like Formula E now is much more of a, it's getting more like a results business. If you can't hit the ground running, sorry, in in the first like three or four races, then you're, you know, your seat is under jeopardy by the end of the season. He did um, score points on in the first race back in Deria as well. Yeah. But I, I just think just, you know, general performances, I suppose. But, you know, it's tough, isn't it? It's, Formula E is not, you know, they used to give rookies chance knowing how difficult it is, but I just don't think that can happen anymore in the series. But I want to move on to Maserati. Now, Maserati officially, Ed, haven't, you know, announced their two drivers. And it, there's more and more rumours at a precise moment that Maximilian Gumpfer could be heading that way, which makes sense. Um, and Eduardo Mortara, now you'd assume, I was like, hang on a second, right? Now, Venturi was obviously, is now Maserati, and, and Mortara, that's been Mortara's team. Mortara has been absolutely brilliant um, over the last couple of seasons. But he hasn't been announced yet. And I don't know if that's worrying or if that's just Maserati wanting to announce both drivers at the same time. But I'm going to throw a small curveball in there because we have a big name. And I think sometimes maybe with Formula E teams waiting a while to announce your drivers and seeing what happens in the F1 market might be a good thing. Um, and I think Formula E would love this as well. Could they pinch Danny Ricardo? Do you think they've maybe even spoken to Danny Ricardo and go, hey, you know what? We've got a seat available because what it would do for Formula E and its marketing, getting a driver like Danny Ricardo in, would be huge. I guarantee they've tried to phone him, but I doubt Danny Ricardo's picking up right now. <laughs> so uh, I think it's a bit of a fall here because Ricardo's shown uh, less than zero interest in Formula E. So I think it's really hard to turn that into any kind of opportunity but you know as you said it would be an interesting story certainly for Formula E to to see if Ricardo could uh, not rehabilitate himself because it's not like he's been doing that badly but certainly it would be a big boost for him if he could uh, 
do essentially what the likes of Nick DeVries and others have done and sort of uh, use it as a springboard somewhere else potentially. But uh, informally, you kind of need someone who's there for the long haul. And that was sort of why the likes of Esteban Gutierrez uh, sort of uh, did a couple of races and then just left formally. I don't think there's really much point in getting Ricardo if he does that. But as for Maserati, it's certainly a lot going on at that team. Obviously, big manufacturers sort of taking over. You've got uh, Susie Wolf and Jerome D'Ambrosio both leaving so that James Rossiter can take the uh, team principal role from a uh, pinch, of course, from uh, the old DS, the Cheetah squad, where he was a, a driver, a test and reserve driver for like the most part, but also now a team principal. So the long, long on a tradition that we see Alan McNish and others do moving into that role. Uh, so, yeah, it is odd that they haven't announced uh, who the two drivers will be. I was sort of hoping maybe Oliver Turvey as a Monaco resident might have been able to squeeze in there because uh, his career just seems to have ended not really on his own terms, which is a little bit sad, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, it looks like Gunther is almost certainly going to get that seat along with uh, Mortara. It would be, in my opinion, a bit... Uh, I think it's like... Mortara is like the golden goose, right? He keeps giving out those victories to Venturi. And, you know, obviously it's not quite the same as with we're talking about Penske with DS taking over that team. With Maserati, it seems like it's mainly the same staff there's a couple of people in the sort of branding part of the team and the sort of, there's a bit more resources, of course, available to them, but, uh, and, and the sort of name change, but the people running that team, are, apart from, you know, obviously D'Ambrosio and Susie Wolf are mostly, it's mostly that same Monaco Venturi squad that's running it day to day. So I think, uh, I think they have to keep Mortara because if they don't, then almost certainly they're letting a potential champion just walk out on them which I think would be a huge mistake after how well he's gone the past couple of seasons yeah Pika what are your thoughts on, on Maserati um Mortara and and going for the only options at this precise moment yeah from from, from what I've heard yes it, it will be Mortara and it's looking likely it'll be Max Gunter alongside him uh, obviously they've just um uh, they had uh, had a preliminary agreement with uh, Nick De Vries. However, he's been snapped up by Alpha Tauri in Formula One. And do you know what? All the best to Nick. Uh, and, uh, and it's fantastic to see someone from Formula E go to Formula One. Um, and yeah, and, and he proved his worth in Monza with a, with a P9. And so, and yeah, Alpha Tauri snapped, snapped him up. And um, yeah, exactly. So excited to see him. But it did give Maserati a little bit of a headache and so and basically that last seat was going to be always going to be between Turvey and Gunter um there were some rumors that maybe uh Degrassi was trying to sort out something for Felipe Drogovic the newly crowned F2 champion but they kind of fizzled out very quickly um but yeah it's it's looking like Turvey's going to be on the sidelines and Gunter will, will, will get the call up for um for uh that team but yeah I, I know that um Ed will be quite disappointed because, you know, a big, big old Turvey fan, as we all are. Who doesn't like Oliver Turvey? Like, he's he's done a mega job in that Neo the past seven and a bit years. And, um, yeah, hopefully he'll be able to come back in some shape or form. But, um, uh, but yeah, from what I've heard, yeah, Mortar and Gunter, and that should be announced some point, some point soon. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, McLaren, they've only announced Rene Rast. They haven't announced a second driver yet, have they? No, they haven't. But uh, the speculation is that Jake Hughes, who is the yeah. Mercedes development, is uh, getting that seat or is signed was... in there waiting to announce him. Yeah, okay. Because let's talk very quickly. Ed, I'm just going to throw it to you on Oliver Turvey because um, I remember interviewing him. Now, Oliver Turvey, great guy and has been a fantastic ambassador for Formula E. But I posed him the question when everyone was singing his praises, when his stock was high, right, season five time, right, after, you know, season four, it, it, was, it was a good season for Neo. He picked up that podium in, in Mexico and his stock was high and everyone said, you need a better seat, right? You need to be in a better team. And he's been loyal to Neo and we've now come, he's had a couple of seasons where he hasn't been able to do much with that car. And he's now not got a seat in Formula E. Now, I'm not saying go back to season four, leave Neo, right? And and maybe you have a better Formula E career. We we don't know. But do you think, in hindsight, it was wrong for him to be as loyal to Neo, knowing what we know now? 
that he was effectively or should he have left? Well, it's a tricky one to say because, you know, there's so many other things that it, like if he changes teams, then like, let's say, for instance, we know and we talked about this before on the podcast uh, one or two times that there was an offer from Nissan from uh, uh, for season five from John Paul Drew before he passed away that Oliver Turvey didn't take. He decided to say it Neo instead. And the Gen 2 era was honestly, uh, I wouldn't say a complete disaster because he still got some points finishes, but certainly it didn't live up to expectations. And there were all sorts of issues, especially early on with the team just didn't get on top of break by wire and sort of how the Gen 2 car worked. And Turvey's been quite open about that. And uh, yeah, it's sort of, you think, uh, you can sort of think, oh, if he'd just gone to Nissan, he would have been where Roland's had and he would have, had the career that Oliver Rowland's had, but there's no guarantee of that, of course. We don't know. Maybe Nissan would have gone for Rowland eventually anyway. But uh, but yeah, you, you, you do feel that maybe he could have achieved more in Formula E. There, there's always niggling kind of doubt of, of the what-ifs. But uh, on the, you can sort of see why he stayed at Neo 333 because there are a lot of people at the team that he knows. Obviously, there was we know the story about Martin Leach, the founder of uh, the uh, Next EV company, which became Neo, who sort of passed away after Turvey joined the team. And he, he, they, he knew Oliver Turvey quite well and was the one who phoned him up in the first place, I think, while he was racing at Le Mans, if I remember the story correctly. And uh, so there's emotional connection there. And uh, it seems sort of, in a way, it's easy to look at, say, Sete Kamara being signed from Dragon and you think, oh, he's been replaced by Sete Kamara. But I think it was more Tictum's qualifying performances that maybe sealed the deal in, in his favor instead of Turvey. And so it seems like Dan Tictum is the new Bruce driver that uh, Neo Free for Free are putting their uh, faith in. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. And certainly Dan's a lot younger as well. So he's got that going for him, whereas Turvey in his sort of mid thirties can maybe, uh, he's still got, you know, a good few years in him. I'm sure he'll do well in endurance racing and other categories as well. But yeah, so, uh, like I said earlier, a little bit sad he won't get to end his formerly career on his turns but he still had that podium in mexico still showed what he could do uh when when he when he was able to get the car working in his favor and uh, yeah maybe if Sachita come back for season 10 there'll be another few seats and uh, i think turvey might be top of the list yeah it's a shame because i, I suppose it you know the loyalty with turvey um it sort of it, it coincides with his whole career because you know he's still that mclaren reserved like simulator test driver effectively and he's had that for years and years and years and I was really really hoping that when McLaren came into Formula E that they'd pick up Turvey and go okay look here's a race seat with us right but obviously that doesn't look like that's going to happen and obviously he's been with that team for you know well over a decade um, and I thought maybe it would have been nice I know there's no such thing as nice but Turvey I felt like has proved he's deserved it um, and he could have jumped into that McLaren. And I reckon if he did jump into that McLaren alongside Rene Rast, he would have done a good job. But I'm going to move on to Porsche because we talked about Penske at the beginning, Pico. Porsche, or another team that's sort of getting there, getting there. But I think like it's time that we expect more from Porsche um, going into, into Gen 3. And obviously with Antonio Felix da Costa now and Pascal Verlein, like when we talk about driver lineups, like that's as good in my opinion, as Jean-Eric Vernon and Stoffel Van Dorn. Like, surely Porsche have got to get their act together and start making a race-winning car from Gen 3 onwards. Well, we started to see it for this year. We saw, uh, for well, for season eight, sorry. Um, we saw in, um, in Mexico how they absolutely dominated that race, so much so they were able to go an extra lap and catch everyone else out. But it was... It was more of a one-off in the end. We did see, we did see it on occasion throughout the season. They were qualifying masters that up until uh, London, they had never missed a, a dual qualifying at, uh, at all. So, um, so like the the pace is there, but the potential is there. I think now that they've got they've signed Antonio Felix da Costa, as was revealed on the final Picos pit walk, you get to see him being trundled down on a on a tire. Wheeler thing, um, little plug. Uh, yeah, so I think that this is this, this is what uh, like it needs to happen now because they've they, they've signed a star driver alongside their current star driver. Um, but yeah, as as I said, I mean, like Lotterer was very good last year, but I mean, like it's hard to 
it's hard to go against Antonio Felix Acosta. I mean, he is an absolutely fantastic driver all through his career. And so I do think that Porsche will be... Porsche will be there with about... The thing is with Formula E is it's so competitive and you have all these manufacturers that are in the sport and all of them are striving for greatness. And so you will occasionally find the odd, like... The, the other manufacturer a little bit further down. I think that last season, the fact that they were beaten by Andretti at, at the very last, the very last moment, because Jake Dennis had that fantastic run in London and in Seoul. Uh, it's yeah, it was. Um, I think they were. They must be disappointed by that. But I think that they will come back stronger. I reckon they'll be top five in teams this this season. But the thing is, we we haven't seen anything yet. We can't really say much. Yeah, it's it's really interesting to see what happens um, with Porsche. And I, I feel like, you know, when they came in season five with Mercedes, like you're expecting a name like Porsche to to be battling at the front. And Mercedes did that. Porsche were there and thereabouts. Like, Wasn't Porsche season six? I swear it was just Mercedes' HWA in season five. Yeah, you are you are right. You are right. But yeah, but, but they were kind of, they were announced together. You know what I mean? And then they kind of came in together um in season six but i think you know we're going into season nine now mercedes have won a constructors championship um you know took two drivers to a driver's championship but porsche hasn't done that yet and i think like it's now that we've got to see that i want to move on though to sebastian boemi ed because sebastian boemi has moved from this end and this end we'll get on to this end in a minute but i think it's interesting that he's moved away from um, and obviously the EDAMS partnership has gone and maybe that's something to do with it. But Nissan in an entirety just looked quite strange. Um, and we'll get onto that in a moment. But the way me going to Envision, thoughts on that. But then my also, which as a second, we talked of earlier about the Mahindra powertrain being potentially stronger, maybe Robin Fryan's going there. But really was Robin Fryan's going there just because of the Audi nature with the apt move? Do you see that move really for Fryan's like working out? And and obviously then Bowemi's switched to taking his place at at Envision. I think it's great for Envision. Uh, <laughs> certainly. Uh, I'm going to try and speak as fast as I can just to get through it all. Big news for Nissan, of course, losing both their drivers, uh, of course, for completely new ones. But Bowemi having to make that move, uh, it's a big deal, obviously. I think uh, Fryan's, I think that opening's happened because Fryan's wasn't happy. It sounds like there was a bit of a disagreement, uh, the, uh, not a huge one. I think Sam Smith may have been playing up a little bit in his reports, but it sounds like uh, he didn't really, uh, he wasn't exactly feeling like he belonged at Envision anymore. And it, we know it was Sam Bird's team for the longest time, and then he left, obviously. And now it sort of feels like they've got behind Nick Cassidy a little bit. And uh, Robin Fryans, I think, is feeling a little bit put out, which is probably why he's gone to apt more than... And I think also he's got those connections with Act as well, that his family has got those links there as well uh, from like uh, way back. So him and Nico Muller, I think, uh, looking like a really good team with the, uh, uh, what well, it's the Mahindra powertrain, of course, in the back of that. Uh, and uh, I think for Boemi, uh, obviously he'll have the Jaguar powertrain with Nick Cassidy as his teammate. And I think it's a good chance for him to reinvent himself a little bit after a few seasons where he took a bit of a beating. At, uh, at Nissan. I agree. Pico, what are your thoughts on um, Robin Frines? Because it's interesting what Ed said there because, you know, it's, maybe there was a falling out, but it seemed like Robin Frines from the outside, well, Robin Frines from the outside is quite hard to read, but, you know, he seemed like it was he was okay. He seemed like he was happy at, um, at Envision. And I feel like it maybe is that those Audi links that have caused him to maybe move that side. Do you see do you see the move working for him? Or do you think maybe he should have stayed at Envision where, you know, maybe it wasn't his team per se, but Envision are a constant source of getting good results. Um yeah, I think with um yeah, I, I completely understand what like Ed's saying. Yeah, I think I think that they became like kind of like equals. Um uh, with um, Robin, uh, Robin and Nick this, uh, this this last year, especially like Nick pro- probably stepped it up uh, from like New York onwards, and uh, genuinely like I think he could have become um, he, like if if he'd had that pace at the start of the year, he could have been easily fighting for the championship. Um, but I think that uh, Bo- uh, I think that Boemi's become 
Um, I think that Boemi moving there, I think that's a solid move for him. Because, uh, yes, I can see why he does need to reinvent himself a little bit because um, season seven was an absolute write-off, but um, see, but season season eight was actually all right and he, he ended up being the number one driver at Nissan. But I think Nissan kind of needed uh, a reset. The, the, the fact that they are now just the Nissan Formula E team, there is no EDAM's involvement whatsoever there now. Um, and so I think they wanted to reset and start afresh. I mean, I, I was uh, in the paddock in Seoul the entire weekend. Uh, even so, even though Sasha Fenestras was a Jaguar reserve on the Saturday and raced with the Dragon on, on the Sunday, 90, 99% of the time I saw him, he was sitting with the Nissan guys. So I think he's already got to know the team. And I think that the fact that Nato is going to be there as well, I think that's a solid lineup for Nissan. And I, I, I think we'll have to see if they can reset, go again this year. We, we know how fantastic they were in the first season of Gen 2. So I think that's their aim to do it again in Gen 3. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing with Nissan because they went with that dual powertrain system, Pico, um, at, in season five. And obviously it got banned. Um, but so it was nice to see them sort of like invent something and maybe if they can do something similar um, going into Gen 3. But that kind of wraps up all of the driver moves that we're going to talk about we kind of covered i think everybody in small dribs and more detailed some than others but there's been quite a lot it's a massive shift going into gen 3 but massive news the identity of formula re has changed because it has got rid of fan boost now for some of you you probably go finally finally big <gasps> Oh, it's gone because really, truly, for and I understand the argument is that it didn't, it didn't add a ton of things to the show. Effectively, like the same people were, were getting it um, every single time. You know, Stoffel Van Dorn, for example, was winning it every single race, and I think because of that, I honestly, I think it's the right decision to get rid of it, and I don't think it had the impact that it that formerly wanted it to have effectively ed what are your thoughts on bamboos changing well it was controversial ever since day one you're right jack and uh it's coming for a lot of criticism took was it since seven or eight years for them to finally throw in the towel for fan boost i guess uh i don't know i've never been the biggest fan of fan boost but i i sort of saw in the early seasons i think it served a bit more of a purpose there was a bit more interaction with the fans. There were more giveaways to do with fan boost. There was even some teams, I think, even tried to tie in, like if we get a certain amount of fan boost votes, well, like Mahindra did a thing where they were planting trees if they got a certain amount of fan boost votes or something like that, which I thought was an interesting one. But I think people have seen it for the gimmick that it is. It's not even kind of an afterthought in the broadcast, the way it gets brought up. And I think it's probably for the best uh, for the integrity of the sport that formerly moves on because it always gets brought up as like one of the dumbest top five dumbest rules in sports. Fan boost usually tops the list. So uh, it's not getting the right kind of attention as well. And I think formerly uh, would do well to sort of steer away from it now. And it's only come about seven years too late, but <laughs> hey, at least they finally come around to our way of thinking. And uh, hopefully now uh, they can replace it potentially or even just leave attack mode in and use that as the new kind of, you know, gimmicky kind of thing that affects the racing. So uh, I uh, I think it's a good move. Uh, I I wouldn't be opposed to seeing something else come in to replace it, but I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. I get the idea of fan boost. And I think, Pico, everyone got the idea of fan boost, whether you like it or you hated it. Like it was a nice way for a new championship to come in and, get the fans involved, make them feel like they're having an effect on the race. I just think because it had such a little impact in what how how it came across, and, and it was kind of like that popularity contest, in, in a sense, is probably why it's faded away. I do think it was a good concept to think about at the beginning, maybe poorly executed or poorly managed. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm in. Uh, I'm in complete agreement with that. I, I'm surprised that it's gone because I know that Formula have always been so pro fan fan boost in in history, and then 
yeah, to see it go, I mean, like, oh, it brings a tear to all of our eyes, tears of joy more than likely. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I think it was the right time. I think the fact that it's the end of one era, we're going into the next, I think it's the correct time to call it a day. They, tw- uh, they tweaked it as well between Gen 1 and Gen 2 to see if it worked, but it, it didn't really work. And, yeah, and I think it's the right thing to do. Um, to be fair, I didn't really mind it because... I'll be honest, I barely saw it any uh, ever affecting a race. I think I saw like Senna overtake Prost in Putrajaya one year, and then I didn't see it impact a race until um, De Costa overtook um, Evans in Monaco a couple of years ago. They're like the only two times I ever saw fan boost actually affect something. It was, uh, so for, for me, like, yeah, it was there, but it didn't really do anything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't mind that it's gone. Um, it was a nice idea, but, yeah, I think times change and, yeah, yeah. it's time it, for it to it, go. It was interesting when you said Senna and Prost, I was like, whoa, we're going back. And I was like, oh, no, Bruno said a Nicholas Prost. I was like, of course, of course, of course. But when he said, I was like, yeah, of course, of course. Just made me laugh for a split second when I was like, you hear said a Prost, and you automatically go to Alad and Erted. And then you're like, actually, yeah, we had Nicholas. Yeah, it's funny we've got McLaren coming back because a lot of people are wondering when Bruno Senna is going to make that comeback in Formula E that he keeps talking about every couple of years. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe one day. But I think, yeah, fan booth, it was a nice idea. I think you, you are right, Pico. It was probably the right time for it to go. I want to talk about Tech Cheetah. We kind of talked about this a little bit. So, Ed, I'm going to come to you on this because it's, it is a sad day. You know, Tech Cheetah, we don't know. They could not be back in 2023. So, the, uh, you know, and there was always this financial cloud always covering them. And we were like, okay, but they're still here. So it seems like maybe that was the the main reason why DS wanted to find a new home because maybe Tech Cheetah just didn't have the finances to help prop up what DS wanted to do. Exactly. And I talked before, I think DS we were just a bit annoyed about having to stick up the bill for to Cheetah in a way. And we know Cheetah were trying to go for all these cryptocurrency con- sponsors that kept falling through, which is always a bit of a house of cards, essentially, that can fall down quite precariously. So I think uh, Tachito sort of bet all on one way and it just didn't go their way in terms of finances, which is a shame that a team that wins the champion- both championships uh, in the first two years of Gen 2 can't actually survive into the Gen 3 era, at least not for the first year. But Mark Preston, the optimism certainly hasn't gone. He said in the podcast recently, well, I set up Super Guri in 100 days. Uh, <laughs> but I I, I think uh, there was never going to be any repeat heroics here because the championship is much bigger than it was uh, during the uh, the first year when uh, Team Aguri was one of the first ones to sign up as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it is sort of sad to see that squad finally uh, miss a season or potentially go under completely. But uh, I certainly don't think it's the last we've seen of Mark Preston and uh, his little team of people. I think they might come back into Formula in some way. But Sachita, yeah, sadly, they are about as dead as my internet connection so <laughs> uh, very funny it was very interesting because i remember interviewing trevor carlin actually and, and back in season one season two he was like you know to, to run a formula e team it was like three to six million so it wasn't a lot so a chance for mark preston even with limited budget to potentially find that money much easier whereas now you know trevor carlin was talking and this was a year ago or two to a year to two years ago that we're looking at like you know 20 30 million now to, to set up a Formula rating so how and uh, in a time of high inflation yeah, and of a big uh, crisis as well. and, and obviously that doesn't help now but like it was interesting to see how much just starting a team from season one being three to six million to now like 30 million um to if you wanted to start a team today um and how much it's it's changed and how much the, the series has progressed um which is a shame but we want to move on to the calendar now because the calendar is getting a little bit tasty and a little bit bigger, which is kind of what we want. We kind of want more races and more cities, but there's still a lot of things to sort out. And the things that I'm a bit confused about, one, okay, we're going to talk about Paris first, Pico, because Paris signed a every two-year agreement, right? So there was so they should be on the calendar this year. 100% they should be on the calendar. Now, there is that one slot, May 20th, which... 
I'm hoping it's Paris. Now, I know Paris is one of those short tracks as energy management's not very um, great on that in terms of every driver can race flat out because, you know, energy is not really an issue. It'd be interesting to see what the Gen 3 cars could look like and what they, how they'd race around Paris because it is a small track, but it was Paris. And, you know, I don't know what Formula E's identity anymore is with their calendar because we're going to all these new places like Hyderabad in India and so forth, Cape Town, which we'll get onto. Um, but these core cities like Paris, New York, London, obviously London's back. New York's not on the calendar yet. Paris, we don't know what's going on. Like, I feel like these big name cities that formerly worked so hard to get onto the calendar, we're struggling to keep. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Well, yeah, May 20th was obviously supposed to be the uh, the Asoli Prix, but um, they're, they're doing some renovations around the site we raced around this year. So uh, they're, they're taking a year off for the moment. And then with the full intention of coming back on the season 10 calendar. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's disappointing because um, I think we needed, to, we needed to have more Asian races. After we haven't been able to go there for the last three years or so. But... Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it, but yeah, we now have that one date, May 20th. Um, I don't think it's going to go to Paris. Yes, as you said, they signed that agreement, which was two years. Um, and that was with the that was obviously with the Olympics in mind, because in 2024, we're going to Paris for the Olympics. And so Formula E races would happen in, 20, in 2023 and 2025. But it would have been involved in the first draft of the calendar I would have thought so and the fact that it's not even involved in the second draft of the calendar makes me even more surprised and I'm not 100% sure why it's not there uh what what I do think will happen is I think that, that May 20th slot will eventually go to Marrakesh as it's as that is the big backup as as usual but um yeah it's it's a shame that current currently well we have got these locations like Seoul and New York who are going through some renovations so they're taking a year off i think new york have every intention to come back as do seoul but it's just that they're that they're having a year off at the moment i mean we didn't go to spa for one year in 2005 or 2006 whilst they were doing the renovations to the bus stop chicane so i mean it's it's not it's it's not the end of the world no, no, you are right. It's just interesting. I find it, I find it interesting that, you know, obviously there was a, I saw, I saw an article where it said no race for Formula E in America is like unacceptable. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if they find a short-term replacement, um, even if it's Long Beach, like let's go back to Long Beach. Let's have, let's have some fun. But um, I do, it's just interesting. I feel like the calendar's changing a lot and I, there, there was an identity to Formula E sort of at the beginning, and I, I know times move on, but we're, we're chucking in all these new races, uh, exciting venues like Cape Town, right, which we, which has been confirmed. And obviously, you know, we should have been on the calendar last year, Ed, um, but it's on the calendar this year. But it's just interesting to see how it, how it's changing. Like we're adding more races, but there's some core races that you could say or core locations just starting to to float away yeah and there's always a sense of the calendar is that there's going to be elements you can't control right there's always going to be logistical nightmares that pop up the left right and center and new york i believe there's the ferry company that wants to build more stuff on the terminal which is exactly in the same place as the circuit is uh during race weekend so that i think is the problem there whether that can there can be a long-term solution i don't know but certainly in the short term new york is out for the moment in Brooklyn, at least. Uh, certainly great we have got Cape Town on the calendar, of course, because there are a lot of uh, sort of hurdles in the country that had to sort of be over overcome to actually host the race there in Cape Town. Great to have. We know, rather than having Marrakesh confirmed at the last minute, we know we got a race on the African continent uh, going into the season, which is good because, I mean, it is supposed to be a world championship, so it's great we visit you know, a few different parts of the world. Uh, and of course, Hyderabad representing Asia and India, of course, and uh, Sao Paulo on for hopefully the first time of, uh, although it's been confirmed many times and then never actually happened. And then uh, we still got a couple of the mainstays like Berlin, of course, which has been on there every season. Monaco, which is now a more permanent fixture. 
and uh, Jakarta, which was really popular last year. Rome is a bit later in the year as well. It's the sort of penultimate, uh, well, the um, triultimate and then the quadultimate round, sorry, to be uh, precise, but it's the penultimate weekend, as it were. And then, of course, London as the finale, which I think will work great. And uh, the thing that I'm happiest about is Mexico's the opener because it means it's not in Saudi Arabia. But then, hey, that's just me. Uh, <laughs> other people may uh, have to be waiting until January 27th uh, eagerly. We've still got two races there, mate. I mean, like, I know, yeah, but I mean, but I haven't seen <laughs> the season opener if pretty much the whole Gen 2 era. So, uh, I mean, it's breath of fresh air for me personally. But I know if other people, it's like, well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh i i think yeah i think the loss of new york uh i can see from the team's point of view because it's always the usa and china are the two big ones china logistically pretty much impossible to get in at the moment because they've still got those are very strict uh travel laws and stuff like that and uh the usa uh there are certainly other venues that could be used like you say jack long beach comes to mind uh miami we've seen hosting formula one it'd be nice to see it hosting something else at other parts of the year who knows uh, it would be a big upgrade from the previous Miami Formula E venue back from 2015, where they had to yellow flag the final sector and it was all put together very, very hurriedly on, on race day. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think the I think James Roster used the quote, what was it, uh, the most diverse calendar. And I think there's certainly something to that. But uh, like you say, a couple of the mainstays like Paris and New York would be great to see them back. But like you say, like I said, there's things that are beyond people's control, and you sort of got to make got to make the best of what's there. I think it's a decent calendar. I think there's some great circuits there. I'm looking forward to go racing. I'm looking forward to go racing too. And I mean, it's interesting to see what these new locations like because uh, for me, I don't think Formula E will ever have this um, in terms of classic tracks. I don't think. I think that's just an era that we've gone through from Formula One, and I just I I can't see. It. And I feel like because we've gotten so accustomed to like, oh, these tracks, these places are so iconic to go to. But I think in the in the way of the world is now, I don't think, and the way the Formula Re is set up, I think that's kind of like my own kind of like pipe dream in a sense. Like I want there to be this same race, the same routine, you know, oh, yeah, look at this amazing track that we go to, this amazing city that we go to every year. But because Formula E is so hard to put together, I think that's kind of like just, these things have to have to change but one one thing that hasn't changed in the calendar that's never been on the calendar right but it's always been talked about on the calendar pico is tokyo and guess what it's back again we've been talking for years and years and years remember when i think it was yamamoto took a formula recar to um i think it was tokyo if i remember correctly um and did like a little demonstration run and to try and get formula e um uh into Tokyo and we're looking like now that they're trying again to get a race in season 10. So thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's I think it's long overdue the fact that we've got um Nissan as one of the teams. Um I mean we had um Team Aguri to start off with in, in Formula E and we uh, from 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 rec- do we have any more Japanese teams? I'm trying to think but um I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh but still I think the fact that, uh, yeah, I think that Formula is long overdue in Japan. I, I know that uh, lots of drivers love Japan, like um, namely Andre Lotterer, because he raced in Super Formula quite a lot over there. But also like quite, quite a lot of the guys who race in WEC, when they go over and do the six hours of Fuji, they love it over in Japan. And so I think it's fantastic that Formula e finally gets to go to the land of the rising sun. Um, and yeah, I think Tokyo... Um, it's fantastic for it. I mean, like to- Tokyo is massive. It's it's the size of basically. I mean, like if you put the centre of Tokyo where the centre of London is, uh, the outskirts is Birmingham. That's how big Tokyo is. It's huge. Uh, so I think it's uh, I think it's fantastic that we're going there for the Japanese fans. Um, and yeah, and I'm and I'm sure that they're going to put on a show there. And yeah, just, yeah. Can't wait to see it. See, that's more of the iconic places, right? That's more of the Formula E calendar that you expect going to these capital cities, going to places that people instantly recognise. I know, so, so I suppose, like, you know, I suppose if we went to maybe New Delhi in India, maybe more people would, you know, sort of have some that sort of feeling. But I suppose, you know, India's a, or Mumbai, but, you know, those places are 
tough to go to, I suppose, and obviously are, are very densely populated, which is probably another thing that you have to think about when you go to India. Um, but like big names like Tokyo, for me, for, uh, are, are things that you want on the Formula E calendar, Ed. Yeah, I was going to say, I was just thinking about the rush hour traffic you get in a lot of those uh, Indian cities like Mumbai, and it's just like completely insane that like, people like cutting off each other left and right. I don't know how we're going to run a race in that sort of situation. But yeah, Tokyo, certainly it's, you think Berlin, London, Tokyo, all three of those sort of really stand out. Whereas I think Hyderabad, uh, back in the day, we had Punta del Este, which was not really a very well-known, uh, you know, Uruguay itself, not really a hugely profiled country uh, although i'm sure people are uruguayan listeners will disagree with me but <laughs> but but uh, but i think that was a great race and a brilliant sort of destination having it right by the beach uh, so i don't i don't think necessarily having the best known city in the world is, is make or break and i think even having the race can certainly raise the profile of, of the area that as is, it was the case with jakarta with the race there in indonesia i think that's really raised the profile of that of that that region but uh and certainly the fans enjoyed it too so i think uh I, yeah i think we'll have to see if the option happens because remember mclaren signed an option for this season and it took a long time for them to confirm that so i'm hoping tokyo we get that option confirmed a bit sooner but of course different kettle of fish entirely with a track and, uh, and a city compared to just the racing team indeed so i want to talk about final thoughts now our final thought to end this mammoth episode of the FEZ show. And it's kind of a big one, right? Because how big is this season for Formula E? Like, it's a new era. It's Gen 3. I feel like we've got to get it right, right? We've got to get it right. Pico, I'm going to, you're like, I'm interested to see what you want to say because I'm looking at you right now and you're like laughing, smirking, which I know everyone can't see at this precise moment. So, um, but... It's a we'll have a discussion, right? Is it a big season for Formula E? Do you agree, yes or no? It's bigger than that, Jack. It's large. It's um sorry, I had to do that. Um, yeah, it's um yeah, no, it's 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 huge it's huge season for Formula E. There's um there's a there's a whole new uh whole new car, some new tracks, new faces that we're going to. Um and yeah, and uh, I, I think that more people are going to be watching it this year because it's going to be different. It's going to be quicker than it's ever been before. It's going to be, um, I, I think it's going to be a really exciting season. I think, like, like when we see in most in most motor racing, when there's reg changes, um, that there's um, that you do see a bit more t- as teams dominate more, and then the rest of the seasons they catch up. So. I, I do I do reckon that we're not in for like the season that we've had in the last couple of years where it's been, you know, you've got a fair few drivers fighting for the for the championship and something like eight different winners or something. But I do think that we're still going to be in for a mega season uh, and I can't wait for it. But there's already a big but coming over the series today as we're talking because... We were talking about it before when we were talking about, you know, the format hasn't been ed, hasn't been sorted out yet. We're not 100% sure what's going on there and, and what people are doing. It turns out that we were expecting these fast charging pit stops. Maybe the race is going to an hour per se to accommodate for these fast charging pit stops. But these fast charging pit stops are now not going to happen because there are some reliability issues with the battery which will then completely change the way we go racing. We could still be doing 45 minute plus one that races, but I, at this precise moment, I'm not an expert with the battery and how it's developed. I don't know if that's too easy for the battery or, or, or not. Yeah, we'll have to see because uh, the cars are supposedly a lot lighter, but I'm not sure if they've had to sacrifice the range of the batteries in order to do that. But yeah, we know there's a sort of RESS issue with the batteries that they've they have got a fix that they're working on, but because of the delays in sort of implementing the fix, uh, we're not sure if they're going to be able to get that out in time for the first couple of races, or if uh, one thing that has been talked about is sort of changing the regs mid-season, which we know the Porsche team are not happy about at all, <laughs> but because uh, they want consistent regs throughout the season, which makes sense, I guess. Uh, but certainly it was a big thing that Formula E were pushing. There was some video from uh, some of the private testing. I forget which track it was at, but it was of the Jaguar, I think, uh, coming into uh, 
to be recharged and people were kind of making fun of it because the mechanics were coming in quite leisurely just to put a little plug uh, in the top uh, of the car and to recharge it up. And uh, they were saying, oh, uh, the charging pit stops are going to take ages. And it's like, well, the idea is that they take 30 seconds. So there's no reason to rush in testing, of course. So I think people were sort of taking one clip that a mechanic had taken or PR person had taken from testing and sort of blowing it up. In It was private testing as well. It's not really a, as big a deal. Uh, I think they were blowing it up into more of an issue than it actually is. But certainly we know there have been uh, some crashes in Gen- for the Gen 3 car. We know Sam Bird had one most recently, but also Oliver Rowland had one in his Mahindra uh, earlier on this year. And uh, we know that that's been uh, part of the uh, part of the issue. And there are a lot of people that are questioning why some of these issues weren't picked up during the sort of manufacture test before they gave the cars out to the teams that uh, uh, Benoit Trellier and uh, Terry Porcher were doing. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, that, we'll have to see if we get a bit more news on that. But uh, I think uh, I think it's certainly an issue. Uh, it may have to be compromised uh, without seeing any fast charging. Uh, I don't think it should spoil the racing too much, though. I think it just means there's a little bit less strategic uh, options available to some of the teams going into the races. But in terms, Pico, in terms of that, like it's a huge blow to me. That's a huge blow for Formula E. Like the one thing that you really wanted potentially not even featuring in next season because of these crashes and the unreliability of the battery. We're saying that it's a huge year, new regulations, but straight away, again, we're hit with this hammer blow. I, I, I I don't mind not having fast charging for the moment. I think it'll be interesting to see what it's like without it. Um, I think they could do this season and then bring it in for, um, God, season 10. Jesus Christ, we're, 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 with that. Oh, it's been going well now, hasn't it? Um, but, yeah, I, I think I, I think it'll be interesting because then that, that uh, that'll make, create a new dynamic for season 10 as well. Uh, so if it's if it's not, not right to do it now, then it's not right to do it now. I think... I don't think the season. I don't think the series will be affected that much, uh, regardless. So they might have to do shorter races. They might have to change the format up a bit. But um, uh, but the thing is, like, with because we we got like a combination of something like six hundred kilowatts of power in these uh, in these cars. I'll be honest, like two fifty could go for forty five minutes plus a lap, plus extra time if safety cars and and virtual safety cars um i think i don't think we'll need fast charge i don't think we'll need fast charging immediately i think uh either that or they're going to ramp up the the um the kilowatt powered by a lot and then we'll see how that goes but yes it'll, so- it'll be interesting to see but I'm surprised that we didn't see it uh after when they announced the calendar because they usually do it with the world most thought council thing but um yeah i'm sure we'll see it sooner than later i think probably this issue has kind of caused them to maybe delay what they had to do and maybe get more thinking time or what they're doing it might be just be a normal announcement of you know like a story uh, a new story or press release which will come out to sort of explain what the format will be i just think it's a little bit you know it's like one of those things oh we really wanted this and and it's not but hopefully you are right that the speed of the cars is the excitement next season because these will be the fastest Formula E cars in the world, well, ever. Um, and I think, Ed, to, to, to close us out, I think that's what we've got to look forward to. Like, we've got to hope that these cars do show off how fast electric cars can be. And not only that, Jack, but they've got huge regenerative uh, capabilities of getting the energy back into the battery, essentially, and reusing it uh, under from under braking. And we got the twin powertrain in the front and the back and the no rear brakes, which is going to be very interesting to see how these cars handle under braking, certainly. And uh, on top of, you know, having McLaren, Maserati, at uh, back on the grid as well. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of new things to the excitement. Like we talked all about the new drivers as well. And uh, I think... Uh, I think going into the unknown in Mexico, I think it's going to be just really exciting to see uh, who gets it right, who gets it wrong, and uh, how it all develops over the course of the season. Indeed, it says 40%. So 40% of the uh, energy will be regenerated on the braking. So 40% is a lot. So to me, that I don't know for, for the racing format, but I suppose we don't have fast charging, but 40% 
even though they are racing at a higher speed, you know, is 45 minutes plus one that going to be too easy? That's the interesting thing to tell. Uh, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. I'm sure there are people that will know. Um, the teams will probably know. But in terms of us knowing what the format will be, um, we don't know yet. But it's going to be an interesting season, I think. Definitely one which Formula E wants to get right on the marketing side um, massively. I think there are going to be a lot more eyes looking at this Gen 3 car. And I, I think we all, all three of us, really want it to be a success. And I'm sure you guys listening to us want it to be a success as well. We don't want, you know, another setback and another reason for this series to, to maybe not, get the light and the credit that it deserves and you know we, it's had a couple of knocks recently and um we definitely want it to start moving in the right direction but boys it's been an absolute mammoth episode thank you so much for your time and uh yeah well i'm looking forward to to doing a couple more of these as we get closer and closer to pre-season testing we got there fellas fellas well done um yeah can't wait for uh, valencia um but I'm sure we'll do another one of these beforehand, unless we don't. In that case, see you in February when we do the next version of the FEZ show. No, we'll definitely be doing lots more. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And again, yeah, thanks for sticking with us, guys, because uh, <laughs> you won't be able to tell this in post, but uh, after it's all been through post. But yeah, this is a bit of a, this is a, bit of a slog to get through points. But uh, enjoyed it every moment of it and uh, can't wait till the next one. My recording is on, to put it into perspective how short this is compared to what it is, my recording is on an hour 35 at the moment. Well, mine's on an hour 36, but, you know, you've got to love a bit of technical difficulties on the oh. first episode back, right? But you don't get to see that. But, you know, we sat there, we've been patient, we're happy. Formula E is nearly back, and we are super, super looking forward to it. We will be back, probably to wrap up some of the latest news and gossip, probably in, in a week's or two's time. And then as we get closer to testing, then we will even more in depth with what is going on in the world of formerly thank you so much for listening to the fez show i've been jack jordan Mayler. thank you so much goodbye